0: Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesdays at 2 All Pilot Cullen with the MEC. We do appreciate you joining us. I uh, love, love having the interaction with the entire pilot group. It's great to see you all here. A little bit of housekeeping before we get things started here. This meeting is recorded. It will be recorded and released on our MEC communications channels, the the YouTube channel as well as our podcast outlets. So, with that in mind, we just want to ask that you you don't need to like uh, record or summarize or try to get a summary sheet and release that out onto Facebook or anything like that. You can just tell your fellow pilots who weren't able to join this meeting that they can just go to our youtube channel or our podcast outlet to get this information and then they can get it straight from the uh, from the source and have the most accurate information like i said do appreciate y'all being here and i'm going to turn things right over to eric i see he has joined us he's got a great agenda set forth for the day and has got lots of information eric good to see you again finally yeah hey kevin uh, welcome back. Right.
1: Um. All right. So, uh, yeah, Kevin covered kind of the administrative stuff there. Um. Uh, I'm gonna skip past that. So, uh, yeah, just kind of trying to set up like, um, oh, kind of what what needs to happen here. Right. Uh, we need to have a long conversation with this pilot group about. Uh, what midterm bargaining looks like, uh, what kind of the art of the possible there is and how we're hemmed in, Um, what that bargaining was intended to do, how uh, long trips becomes cats and what cats is and how it works. Um, You know, it's, it's part of that midterm bargaining cycle. And then how we kind of start to deal with that all in a distributive bargaining world, right? Because the the world of uh, interest-based bargaining that we um, that we did for three years uh, with OC involved has uh, long since been uh, left in the dust, and uh, this company is doing straight-up uh, distributive bargaining and very aggressively at that. And what that means, right, in a, a really high-level sense, is things that make sense don't get talked about and don't get um, uh, get done, right. So uh, it, it's really hard to look at it from like kind of pilot brain, which is pretty pragmatic and um, really centered on kind of just getting to solution, right? Um, in fact, we're we're trained to that kind of thing. Talk about things to solution, CRM our way through, expand our circle, go outside of that, find resources, right? That's not what this kind of bargaining is, and um, it's is it really uh, effective way of bargaining against pilots who. want to do what works, right? Um, Because it is, it's just simply based in getting what you want and only what you want and believing that you can't come to better solutions that uh, give you competitive advantage. So it's extremely regressive uh, and extremely aggressive, right? And um, how this all fits together is very complex, um, uh, well past 120 slides in the slide deck, right? So that's why the, the Tuesdays at two forum fits, right? And we'll do this as a series. Please try to tune into the series um, or you'll be missing pretty significant parts of, of what's moving here over the next uh, six months, really, right? Um, so know that there's, there's just a lot of moving parts, a lot of change, and it's really, really important that this pilot group gets up to speed on how these things work. Um, I wanna make sure that we leave enough time for some Q&A to really talk through these issues um, and uh, reach you know, a good understanding, right? It's really, really important to us that we are transparent in what we're doing and that you guys know what we're doing uh, so that um, you know what we're working on and where we're going, right? Um, so, anyways, with that said, um, this is kind of the series plan, right? We'll just cover some news each time. I have quite a bit of news to get out to you guys today. Um, and then uh, we're going to cover uh, really the the long trip pretty big concept, what it is, how it expands uh, upon uh, the testbed for long trips, and... kind of what some of those changes are that we're looking for there why we need to codify some of those changes and uh, how they fit into what is cats right all right so um in the other uh parts of the series we'll start covering uh more in depth uh, just do a deep dive on cats and the pre-bid and how that affects upgrade um the midterm negotiating structure as well as negotiating strategies uh, for distributive bargaining now uh, there's no way to have this discussion just simply on what long trips are without um, getting into some of uh, and touching on uh, CATs and midterm bargaining. We're happy to get there, happy to talk about it. It's probably best left to the Q and i I'm just going to kind of work through the slide deck on on what uh, you know what expanding the scope means for um, uh, CATs, right? So um, new stuff, right, just uh, what what we're going to do today. Uh, I want to talk about your career and watching out for your career as, you know, this company is struggling with some stuff. Great business plan, super successful, uh, you know, great profit margins and, um, you know, expanding and growing in a certain way. Yet at the same time, uh, having some significant problems, uh, you know, with the training department that put our careers at risk. And we we need to address some of that with you guys. Um, quick news on contract publication, uh, dues reconciliation, arbitration updates, rumor control. Right. We'll get into all that stuff. And then we're going to get into uh, the long trip uh, pre-bid concept and go through the slide deck. So, yeah, you know, the. I'm just going to stay here on the slide for a while uh, and kind of work through the news stuff. Uh, So, uh, you know, the industry has way too much instability and there's way too many close calls. We see it in the news all the time. Um, We are ourselves having issues, uh, particularly with unstable approaches. We're uh, distinctly and far outside of the uh, norm. Um, uh, the real concern is nothing is being done to fix that stuff, right? So we're collecting data, but we're not actually uh, closing the loop there and creating training uh, that trains those unsafe places out of our uh, behavior. Um, And we're also just simply not keeping up with the training department as a whole, right? So uh, truly the training department, is in free fall. We've talked a lot about uh, the um, FAA investigation um, and our training committee is looking every day more deeply at what is being followed or not followed. uh, And there's uh, widespread noncompliance with um, the AFOTM, right? So not even the contract, uh, but with the company's agreement with the FAA in terms of how they're going to operate, right? So um, things like non-seniority list instructors not doing observation rides, not having standardization, those non-seniority list instructors are now being trained um, outside of some country, right? So uh, through a subcontractor in Texas, Uh, any of us who have been through this non-seniority list instructor thing knows that that leads to uh, really widespread um, uh, non-standardization uh many companies go down this route see how bad the non standardization is and then then dump that path um uh, we're just knee deep in that right so uh last week on one day we had i think 5 uh failures right uh, that's really unheard of the FAA is going to be looking at that without a doubt right uh and that's what i'm saying you know look out for number 1 look out for your career and um just just be aware right of uh, what's going on at this airline um so know also that we just simply don't have line of sight to training and training schedules um that is uh you know as the companies become more and more um uh non-transparent right uh, they're obscuring and trying to mitigate and marginalize alpa uh, and it appears the faa uh from you know peering inside and understanding what the issues and problems are which means that you know nobody is able to help them either right so uh just know that as this place becomes uh more and more unstable um and the training department fails to get fixed right that those burdens are being placed on you and your career and you need to do what is right for you and protect your career right um i think we're all feeling this we're all seeing it um i just need to talk with you guys about what we are seeing and uh it's pretty widespread non-compliance um and it is going to lead to uh, a a long turnaround time for that training department there there is no plan right now to fix it the plan to fix it uh in part was uh you know in an loa we did back in march which hasn't seen the light of day simply the the schedulers haven't um, been told that it exists and that was their path to you know efficiency uh to get people through oe and that isn't happening either right um so Uh, With that, um, I'm just going to stay here for a second as we work through some of the news stuff. So contract publication, um, that document was sent to the uh, uh, printing houses for quotes. Uh, We expect it's going to be probably, I'm guessing, 8 to 12 weeks before we see uh, a printed copy come back, just given the, the delays in supply chains there still. Um, and uh, there should be, you know, contracts in hand. We uh, do have this posted now on Comply. It's a single document, right? So 360 some pages of uh, contract plus all of the LOAs, all in one spot. So uh, super useful um, and efficient for uh, looking stuff up because we now have a search function, right, in a PDF. So that's great. Um, the dues reconciliation process is understand this is an annual reconciliation, right, where uh, Alpa National looks at income and determines whether or not uh, they've collected the 1.85 percent, I believe it is, that uh, um, is taken for dues. Um, we knew that the reconciliation was coming and that it was going to be a, a little wider and like more effective pilots than usual. Right. Um, we had asked for a delay uh in uh sending out the reconciliation bills so that we could come to you uh something fell apart there between us and national and the the notices went out um truly i wish that we would have been able to handle the comms a little bit better and get in front of it that's not what happened um it's you know as we put in our com, uh you know 13 different payroll uh subjects that weren't um, being dues properly, at least the company wasn't collecting the dues um, off of, you know, 13 different parameters and aims or something. Uh, most of that, the vast majority of it, is due to pickups in excess of 150%. So if you had pickups at 200, 300%, um, those are are likely in an error and didn't have dues collected on the, the increased premium pay. Um, all right. Uh, yeah so you know we see widespread payroll problems um we have been marginalized from the payroll programming which you know obviously results in errors because it doesn't program to the contract necessarily and we hear your frustration right um but please remember where the errors started Uh, That isn't with us. I know it's our dues, right? Um, And truly, we appreciate uh, the pilot group's dues because it allows us to fight the fight we're fighting, right? All right, with that, um, some arbitration updates, quite a bit going on on this front. Uh, Chris and the rest of the guys on the grievance committee are very, very busy Um, with that. Uh, know that we have had to pull in uh, quite a bit of resources from Alpa national additional lawyers in order to keep up with the arbitration schedule uh it certainly isn't something jody can do alone to uh, keep up with our with our property and air wisconsin um and uh, national has been very clear about this they will come with whatever resources we need to arbitrate every single last case uh, regarding um, this contract and implementation of this contract. Um, so we've seen uh, uh, some great amount of resources and power there, uh, which is was re- is really awesome to see. Um, uh, multiple different lawyers working on different cases and uh, it will make the arbitration process uh, much faster and more effective. So happy to see that. Uh, we do have a reserve assignment log arbitration. A lot of people call this FOLO, uh, reserve transparency, right? Uh, it's all part of that. Uh, but the reserve assignment log, right, is supposed to provide for all of the information that you need to see whether you should have been assigned uh work in accordance with the uh, order of assignment, Right. Um, we simply have not seen a functional reserve assignment log at best. We've seen uh, piecemeal follow information and it's uh, extremely important to what we negotiated in terms of rescheduling rules uh, to have transparency to who is being rescheduled and how, uh, and that includes um, all of the open time assignments that are being made to reserve. So, um, uh, very important arbitration. Um, and we expect, um, uh, to put on a good case there. So that's coming up September 1st. And we also have a workman's comp arbitration, um, going on. And this is a little bit of a backwater, right? Cause you're not affected until you're injured at work and then you're, uh, you know, uh, on workman's comp for a duration of time. But, um, uh, the company refused to settle this case um, on a precedent basis, right, which what that means is the company's not agreeing to follow the negotiated contract provisions of Section 16 in the future, right? Um, what they're saying is they, they'd they settle that case on a one-off basis, but on a move-forward uh, basis, they're saying if the same facts that occurs in the future, that, uh, that you wouldn't be eligible uh, for workman's comp. And Uh, That leaves, you know, people who have been injured on the job without health insurance, Uh, and that was a negotiated benefit under this contract. And section 16 is, you know, specific language which governs the general language of. Uh, medical leaves of absence. When you have specific language, um, that is, uh, it controls the general language, right? So, uh, if you're injured on the job under this contract, uh, you have specific rights under uh, workman's comp and under Section uh, 16, and that, that leaves, you know, people in the future with. Um, you know, who have a contractual right to remain in active service, right? Accrue longevity and sick and um, uh, vacation, right? Along with getting their health care paid for. And that's a significant threat to this pilot group. And uh, we simply cannot settle that on a non-precedent basis. And um, we'll bring that case to arbitration uh, again with uh, uh, another lawyer from Elpa National, right? So it's great to see that uh, moving forward. Um, and it's also a pretty unique benefit, I think, to Sun Country that, that we were able to achieve that. Uh, anyways, uh, time to protect it, right? Because it's under attack. Um, also, we had an online, not offline, but online. So on Sun Country Metal, uh, Deadhead uh, Seating arbitration. Those grievance twenty two five twelve, um, and this is uh, this one was settled on a precedent uh, basis and uh, establishes uh, punitive damages for uh, not receiving a proper seat for online deadheading. These are deadheads. Um, It's scheduled in advance of like 48 hours prior to report. Uh, So they should be um, uh, easy to comply with and the seats should be available. Um, And that's just simply not happening. Um, Yeah, with that, get a little bit into some rumor control right and this does kind of weave into the long trips discussion um just taking a look at um, some of the standby here
2: um, yeah looking at.
1: the, um, that the company put out regarding long trips, you know, and how that was displayed. There's uh, certainly, I would say at best, um, some spin going on there, uh, if not some uh, straight up kind of larceny, right? But um, uh, The company just simply hasn't engaged in further discussion uh, regarding long trips. Uh, We've asked for several months uh, and teed that up, saying we need to have a larger discussion because there are changes that we need to make in this kind of test period to see if they're going to work in CATS as we move forward. Um, uh, Really, what's going on there is basically a half-truth to discredit the MEC right and I I asked the pilot group to think through how negotiating via bullet point um, and through just an email on a Thursday night and saying that's negotiating uh, cuts out your MEC and cuts out the negotiating committee from having meaningful conversation right Uh, and that's the kind of thing that you see when you're doing distributive bargaining because you don't care about the relationship and you're not interested in talking through the issues, right? We need to talk through the issues, um, which is why we need to have a discussion about long trips that goes beyond what was put in place, you know, a year ago, uh, as a trial period. And, uh, we'll work through some of that through the course of the slide deck here. Uh, but, you know, um, just know that we told them uh multiple occasions and very clearly and uh that they were uh to engage with uh, with us and with the negotiating committee on any further following re-ups of that letter and uh they don't want to pay to negotiate they don't want to pay to pull people to do that and um uh, you know your productivity is what we have to negotiate with it's it's how this is done. And right now they're getting significant productivity. They were getting significant productivity, uh, through that long trip letter that had not seen a quid and, um, very important that it does. Right. This is, it's a little bit like, you know, grandma kind of stealing the Netflix, uh, subscription, right. And grandma's never going to pay for that unless, unless someone cuts her off. Uh, which is is unfortunate. We realize that there are people who are caught in the middle of this. Um, that said, we do support long trips. We want long trips to expand. It was our um, our effort, right, to put those in place. The company was very resistant to do the long trips to begin with. Uh, I think they've seen that there's significant demand there, and they need to meet that demand, right? Um, and along with that uh take care of some of the loose ends that weren't negotiated like um you know conflict resolution with vacations and such right so all right um just a real quick bit on um merger rumors right hearing lots of merger rumors certainly given where the company is at right now um in terms of you know crumbling safety department crumbling training department uh, and what it takes in terms of investment and skill set to fix those things. Uh, they might look at, you know, another company as a more viable option uh, and look at merger. They might look at sale, right? Uh, rather than investing in this pilot group, can they sell to somebody else, get more money and get out? Uh, that I'm, Along with that, looking at what they need to invest into this company to grow it. Uh, and that's kind of what, what this, the story of this slide is that we're looking at. Right. So um, we all feel these problems, right. Upgrade, retention, attraction, they are slightly different. There is overlap to these problems, right. But the fixes for these problems are uh, separate and distinct in a certain sense. Right. So I, um, When you look at upgrade um, what fixes upgrade right very clearly the pilot group has told us through a survey right that it's the schedule right but what about the schedule is the problem and uh we feel like we understand where the pilot group is at right we're a reflection of the pilot group as an mec and um, our job is to stay in tune with where the pain points are and make sure that we satisfy those right uh, the company, right, has been working through their listening sessions to identify issues and have made some of those issues, um, highlighted some of those issues, particularly for junior reserves, right, and their attempt there is certainly effectively splitting the pilot group apart, right, what benefits the reserves and what they're floating in terms of, you um, Uh, Reserve ads, right, and increased days off for reserve means that the senior pilot suffers the consequence of those things, right? Um, So with reserve ads, it's very clear to see, right, if uh, um, reserves are adding trips, that, that is going to hurt the income of the senior pilot, right? Uh, Likewise, uh, if there are less reserve days of productivity to be had because they have more days off, that means that the senior pilot's going to be working those, or you're going to expand the amount of reserves, right? One or the other. Um, So, uh, really important that when you put packages together, right, that you have enough enough vote, right, uh, to actually make them pass. And because that was, uh, those listening sessions were focused on a very narrow demographic, uh, they're not necessarily looking at the whole pilot group, the needs of the whole pilot group, right? Certainly the uh, senior FOs that would hold lines wouldn't benefit from either one of those issues uh, in any really significant way. I mean, in, in some tangential ways, yes. But um, uh, we have a package that we think is uh, viable for the whole pilot group. Um, and we encourage the company to ask for what it thinks it needs in terms of uh, upgrade fixes, right? So if they think that they need to pull a lever on increased days off for of reserves, that's great. Um, go for it, right? Uh, you need reserve ads. We might suggest uh, that it looks more like aggressive reserve ads where the senior pilot can pick up off of the uh, junior pilot who has been um, uh, you know, provisionally awarded that trip. Uh, those kind of systems allow for, um, you know, the, the senior pilot to not suffer, and it allows uh, added income uh, for the junior pilot, right? Uh, so there's a lot to look at there, right? The company's focusing on that really small, narrow junior group, um, thinking that, you uh, by doing so, they can create some amount of churn at the bottom of the list, pay you know, the, the least expensive captains to get into the left seat. I get why they're going there, right? But it's also to split the pilot group apart and create division and make it hard to create consensus for us, right? Uh, so anyways, uh, taking a look at upgrades, right? Um, we really feel like we need to solve uh, for trip length, right? Um, I think you'll see over the course of this series why that's important, uh, that we offer long trips. Long trips are good for this business in terms of military charters, and um, uh, they're certainly extremely efficient for the cargo operation. Um, And we think that we need a trip length limit for uh, the short trip bid. Right. So the uh, kind of the normal PBS bid uh, in order to uh, assure people that they can move into the left seat, senior FOs with the experience in the airplane uh, can get into the left seat and not have to have a schedule of, you know, two, six days and a four day or something. Right. That it just isn't uh, it isn't viable to decrease your schedule quality that much uh, to move into the left seat as a line holder. And I think that problem still exists, even if you fix Uh, reserve for a very limited amount of people by way of, you know, added income opportunities or increased days off for reserve, guys are going to move into that reserve situation into stagnation, right? They're going to sit there for two, three years on reserve, which is why, you know, that's one of the problems that they're trying to solve, company wants to solve, right, is that there's, you know, uh, stagnation when you move on to reserve in the left seat, you're not moving up, right? And we're not growing. Uh, at a significant rate, so people look at spending years on reserve and are voicing that concern in those listening sessions, and um, uh, we know that you know you need to be able to move up further. Uh, from from reserve and into a line. And what's not happening is that conversation as you move into the junior lines, how poor the quality of those lines are and why you see a significant amount of people bidding down from being the uh, line holders, say, into uh, relief lines or onto reserve, right? Um, So we have uh, some fixes, we think, for uh, that stagnation um as well as we need to talk about schedule flexibility right that's the other part that the comp- that the pilot group is saying they need to have is something about drops right um and i think partials as well right so the ability to split it split a trip into two pieces um and kind of decide where which side the rig goes to which pilot the rig goes to or back to the house right Um, so we need to make sure that uh, we address those needs as well those needs address the entire pilot group and we think that that a package that addresses those uh is what can pass it can get enough votes to move Um, it doesn't divide the pilot group and it's something that we can uh, create consensus behind Um, uh, Likewise, it has uh, some synergies, right, in terms of attracting people to work here, uh, because there's people who want to work in this industry uh, long periods of time. Um, It offers uh, significant schedule flexibility, right? So we think that that solves some of the upgrade issues. Um, And I'll go through, you know, the slide deck and work through some of those ideas. Um, When we start talking about retention and attraction, um, right? the things that are attached to that get a little different. So you look at attraction, right? And when you're shopping for a job in this industry, a lot of people go to APC, they move the little slider on the pay scales right against the guarantee and they try to figure out whether or not their household can run on that money income um, and Then they look at the bases right? Is there somewhere I that's close to me or can I move there? Um, And then they look at the time to upgrade, like uh, how long am I gonna have to sit in the right seat before I can upgrade and start making uh, better money, right? Um, Time to upgrade across the industry is like as soon as you possibly can get there, right? Um, It's uh, as low as I've ever seen in my career. Uh, Bases, we have the least desirable, believe it or not, right? for all of us who are here because it's Minneapolis, um, we have an undesirable base. Uh, If you survey, you know, all pilots across the industry, Minneapolis is not where they want to end up, right? They want to end up in L.A. or New York or, uh, you know, somewhere like Miami, right? Um, There's a lot of bases out there, a lot of places to choose from, and uh, we think there's but you know fixes and we've been talking about this for ages about positive space right uh positive space FedEx travel bank all of that we think that there's a different solve there and some competitive advantage for some country to do something different than bases but satisfy the same need to um not have uh difficult commutes right um likewise pay scales is an attraction problem right and you'll see uh, in the next slide where you kind of get some insight into what. Jude and Greg are thinking here uh, and what direction uh, they're trying to take the company where they think they have problems, right? And what they're telegraphing is they have an upgrade problem and they don't have a retention problem, they don't have an attraction problem, right? Um, so when we start to look at exit interviews, right, that's where we start to see retention issues and what we hear is stagnation, training quality, and then instability in all of its myriad forms, Right. Um, and I think the training department is part of that. But you also look at safety, right, where we're down to literally one person as the director of safety is supposed to uh, is the safety department. Um, uh, and that one single person is supposed to do everything from, you know, uh, making sure that there's not ice in front of doors uh, to the hangar uh, and take care of, uh, you know, SMS and um, FOQA and ASAP, right? It it just isn't possible. It's fully under-resourced and uh, truly an under-resourced program is the same thing as not being transparent. And we are seeing these issues all across the company. Uh, All of Building C is strapped so tight that they're not getting their work done. They're finding workarounds uh, to the pressure that's being brought from above in order to get that work done um and we're simply not uh creating a structure that can grow this company right and so uh because you have stagnation and instability and a training department that's in free fall uh people are leaving right so retention is spiking along with that right like i said there's overlap people are looking at pay scales and pay scales are moving at the in in this industry um but at a really high level. Uh, that isn't something that can be solved in midterms. And there's um, uh, some very good reasons why it isn't addressed in midterms. Uh, We should address the pay scales when the company wants to solve their attraction problem. And that's what they're saying in these slides, right? Is we don't have an attraction problem. We don't want to talk about pay scales because we have uh, an upgrade problem, right? And there's an argument to be said that if you create a larger differential between FOs and captains, maybe people move to the left seat. Uh, We think there's some other levers in between uh, that that can be pulled to do some of this stuff uh, in a more immediate sense, right? Because they don't want to and are refusing to address uh, pay scales. Um, Likewise, a lot of our leverage, right? Uh, A lot of the industry's leverage comes with this dynamic of, Right? What are you um, What are you going to give me in terms of work rules and improvements and quality of life, uh, so that I will let you pay me more? Right? That is the dynamic across the industry and payroll, uh, and the pay scales is the uh, is a problem um, for every management who hasn't gotten to where Delta United American is at. Right? And they're they're you know you, you talk to Spirit, you talk to Frontier, and they're getting gutted. Uh, because uh, people are moving for bigger money at uh, mainline carriers who have sewn up their contracts by working with labor on solution, right? So, right, so here uh, we see Jude, right, um, on the earnings call says we don't have any problem hiring pilots and our attrition is consistently below where we had expected it would be at this time. Uh, the issue boils down really to getting pilots to upgrade to captains. So we're constrained in the left seat we want to and we continue to make strides in improving that figure uh, and as we will grow uh, as we upgrade captains right so they want to solve their captain problem and they're they're focused singularly on the upgrade problem not addressing retention not addressing um, attraction right greg echoes this we don't have a problem hiring pilots right now Uh, we, got we've got really robust applications. We've got a great recruiting team on the attrition front. We watch that daily, right? So there's no problem here. Nothing to, nothing to see, right? Uh, that stayed within our expectations. Uh, I, you know, uh, I know that the plan is nine a month and losing 17 isn't real, right? Uh, that, that's a problem. Um, but nonetheless, that was the statement that was said on the earnings call. Uh, we see these other deals that are going on out there now that might affect attrition. What he's talking about is pay scales, right? Uh, but we believe we can moderate that with additional cost sizes. Uh, I think mean, it's supposed to say class sizes that we can fill, right? Um, so they're saying they can hire more, right? problem is the training department can't put them through. Uh, so... As Jude said, it really comes down to our ability to grow, is that the rate of our captain upgrades, right? Um, So just to revisit this slide, right? They wanna wanna solve for that top hexagon there upgrade, right? They're not interested in solving pay scales, which is an attraction issue, Um, right? This is that's simply business 101, when you have a labor shortage, right? You increase the pay. Uh, they feel like they don't have a labor shortage, that they have all the applications that they need to deal with attraction. And they're saying, we don't have a retention problem. I think they do. Right. Um, I think this whole pilot group feels like they do and they're wondering why they haven't solved it. And I think everyone is wondering, you know, why you're not investing in the pilot group, uh, in a way that's going to allow this airline to grow. Right. I mean, it's, um, it's their decision to grow slowly if they want to grow slowly. Right. Uh, I would look at the profit margins um, uh, against the ASMs and go, wow, you should grow this thing, right? Uh, You need to scale it. And uh, certainly the plan was to scale it at a faster rate than what's being scaled. Um, And they simply can slow that growth down to, you know, uh, exactly where we're at, right? Muddling along with a broken training department and a broken safety department, um, they're still making you know, great profits and they can muddle along like that for the next two years until we get to section six, right? And that they may decide to do exactly that, right? So, um, and suffer the shrink in the meantime, hoping that they can live to see another day in two years and that there isn't a pilot shortage. Uh, so I, I can't force them to a deal, right? Um, and in fact, you get a deal when the company wants a deal, right? Uh, So they recognize they have an upgrade problem. Um, They can choose to fix some of that and pull the levers that they want to pull in midterms. And if those levers are increased days off for reserves and reserve ads, we will negotiate with them and work on those issues, right? Um, uh, Likewise, you can amend this contract anytime, right? Um, They can come with a pay scale and talk about it anytime they want to talk about it, all right? Um, and they should ask for the solutions that they feel that they need for upgrade, right? Uh, if they did listening sessions and have data and have made decisions, they should ask for those things. We are going to ask for different things that we think satisfy um, the needs of all pilots, right? And in doing that, um we feel we can get the votes that are necessary to ratify a deal, right? Um, makes sense. So, uh, when you start to look at these company listening sessions, right, uh, what I'm hearing out of those is we want to make reserve look senior, right, and we hear everything that's coming out of here. We're not missing it, right? There's stagnant movement in the left seat, the reserve ads on days off um, is something everyone's been looking for for a long time. We've been trying to sell this in different ways for years, right? Um, uh, at points in time where productivity was very low, we let them borrow it for a little while so that the company didn't, you know run into uh into the ditch um reserve ads is your productivity, right? And yes, we should do reserve ads. it makes tons of sense. Um, it also does hurt the earnings potential of uh, the senior pilot, and we need to address that in some meaningful way. Aggressive reserve ads is another thing that we're hearing out of those listening sessions. It's not what the company's talking about. They are talking about reserve ads, right? That's what they're floating to us anyways directly. Uh, aggressive reserve ads, like I mentioned, is a little bit different. What, what aggressive reserve ads do is allow you to pick up trips that start on your days off so you know your report time, right? Right. Uh, and then it goes into your uh, days of reserve, right? So uh, that is uh, trip is like pro- uh, provisionally awarded to the pilot, and then a senior pilot has the ability to pick up that trip. It still remains an open time, so up until you know twelve hours prior to the report time, twenty four hours prior to the report time, because uh, at some point that pilot knows has to know, hey, I'm gonna I need to get rested and then need to commute into work, um, but uh, the Senior pilot can pick up that trip that's provisionally awarded and add that own trip and then it comes off of the junior pilot, right? That's one way of doing this that satisfies the um, you know the the needs of the senior pilot to uh, continue to have those um, earnings opportunities, right? And truly, um, uh, the senior pilots at this airline uh, gave uh, a senior uh, once a day open time system uh, up for uh, really transparency into open time right uh no more backroom deals no more giving uh, schedulers giving away trips to their friends right uh that's what was supposed to go away with reserve transparency in this follow arbitration that we're having right uh is all that all those deals in the dark corners um and uh, we're going to continue to push for that the senior pilots, um with PBS right which we haven't realized yet but uh, allows for the senior pilot to bid towards efficiency right so their days spent at work are as efficient as possible which creates as many days off as possible right which gives them the earnings opportunities and that's how seniority is seen in a uh in a real time open time system right and that real time open time system is pretty key to growth it allows the company to take on ad hoc charters uh, aggressively, right? And really compete in that market because they know that they can get coverage uh, almost immediately out of that system and not have to wait for a once a day cycle, right? So this all kind of works together in a big Django puzzle. Um, and it's just really important that um, the senior pilots who gave a lot in losing a once a day seniority system Uh, can realize the earnings opportunities that come with uh, being able to earn more days off, right? It's all a big package. And uh, to undercut that with reserve ads is problematic. We have to address that in some way, and aggressive reserve ads is one way we can do that, right? Uh, So... um, Increase minimum days off reserves. Absolutely, we've been asking for it for a long time. It's a make sense thing to do. Um, understand where the industry is at. I think is uh, somewhere between twelve and fourteen. Um, we probably need to increase the minimum days off for everyone, right? Uh, so that we can get votes, right? Uh, or otherwise, the senior guys need to be quid in some other way. So uh, that's just the you know the nature of making deals that have to satisfy the needs of the pilot group, not just one small segment of the pilot group, right? Um, So, uh, another one of the things that we're hearing coming out of these listening sessions, right, is increasing the guarantee for reserves, by all means, let's do that. And, um, uh, you know, some concern about the minor financial differential between uh the right seat and the left seat reality is you work quite a bit more in the right seat uh to make that money that you wouldn't have to work in the left seat right uh but we hear you right it's uh, if you go on reserve for you know three years uh you're gonna be worried about how you can make up some of the pay loss uh undoubtedly right um so once again, what the company's floating out of this list, right? Just reserve ads on days off and an increased minimum days off for reserves. And just know when the company is inviting you in to have a conversation that they've cut us out of, right? They're trying to pick your pockets, right? And what did they pay attention to out of the many things that were said? These two right here. Which uh, advantage them by putting the cheapest people possible into the left seat, never mind experience or addressing the needs of the other hundred FOs that are bypassing upgrade, right? Who would hold a line? Um. Yep, like I said, we're open, uh, right? We've been asking for this stuff for years, literally all the way back to the Portland arbitration. Um, some of it may be. Uh, to our detriment, right? Uh, because they think that we wanna buy reserve ads from them uh, and they simply don't have the um, context to understand what the exchange of value is there, right? So we'll see if they can get to a deal there. Um, all right, so let's get into some long trip stuff. Um, this is just a you know, really wide, Uh, overview of long trips, right? And some of this stuff, long trip uh, pre-bid, we've been doing with the test bed. And you'll see some other stuff in here that needs to come along uh, that hasn't been part of the test uh, because the company... Um, couldn't move a year ago on some of these issues, right? Politically, internally, they couldn't get past some of this stuff. And we need to see this stuff work in uh, a trial period to know if we want to sign up for this stuff permanently in November when we get to midterms, right? So um, note the next one here, trips greater than four days, right? So uh, the whole idea is any trips greater than four days would be um, bid out in this long-trip pre-bid. Um, and that creates a with it, right? A de facto uh, triple length limit of sorts for uh, the short bit, right? Um, and each one of these will go, uh, go through the slide deck. I have a slide for each one and we'll expand on these a little bit, right? So. Um, the min four days off following this is a trip construction rule it's um i think the spirit contract was the first one to achieve this right Uh, i think they're at three days off following uh, any trip greater than uh, four days or something and what it allows for right is uh, meaningful commuting between trips right and they can waive that uh, you know if you live in base say no, i'd I'd still like to get my uh, my trips you know together or something like that through pbs so Um, uh, We want to expand to mixed cargo and passenger operations. The company has been very resistant to this. Um, uh, It just didn't satisfy the need at the time a year ago uh, to have an all cargo operation for Amazon uh, that was uh, done in a long trip bid. So uh, there's some changes that happen there in terms of efficiency that we need to discuss, right? Um, Excess trips to fulfill demand. Yeah, we want to create, you know, 40 or 60 of these things and let them get bid out, right? If people want to work that way, they should be able to work that way. And we think it's really important to offer uh, enough trips to fulfill the demand to work that way. Uh, likewise, another piece of this is uh, domicile overnights. That did not make it into the letter. Uh, we need to take care of all of the conflict bidding resolution. There's... um You know, vacation presents some unique issues, uh, but uh, we didn't deal with any of that in the test, right? We just simply said you weren't going to get awarded it if you had uh, conflicts, right? Um, So we need to write language and then meet and discuss that language, see if the company wants to do that. So we need the negotiating committee to get together with the company and have that conversation, right? out of domicile report and release, right? Right now, every trip that we do starts in Minneapolis, right? Uh, And then we do deadhead deviation uh, to, um, let's say you wanna move from home into position, right? Uh, What the CATS concept is and why we need to see some trial here is to add the notion of travel days, right? So uh, trips start and release uh, out of domicile would be things like they start in Miami and end in uh, Spokane, right? Uh, and Then how do you get from, um, you know, your house to the beginning of that trip to report? How are you going to get from that trip to home, right? Uh, and how those travel days are um, paid, right? How you travel there, positive space. Are you going to get hotels when you get there? Uh, as well as um, uh, how do you take care of the per diem, Right. Uh, So there's, you know, potential losses in in terms of uh, money for um, uh, trips uh, relative to those that start in Minneapolis. We need to address that. Right. Likewise, um, we have wanted to do, uh, you know, structures where we have. Uh, one 12-day trip, as well as, like, two five days that are tacked together uh, or moved apart. So you would, say, work the first, you know, five days of the month, the last five days of the month, and tack travel days on. Um, uh, so you could, like, make long stretches of work, which would get us to a multi-month bid, right? So something where you could bid um, – I'm going to mute the uh, open line there. All right. Uh, so you could bid um, – uh let's say uh three months at a time right and then you would know i'm going to work 12 days at the beginning of the first month that's going to give me 18 days off straight to the end of that month in the next month i want uh, my 18 off at the front and i want to bid uh my work at the end which gives you a solid month off in the middle right uh wonderful way to get to some scheduling flexibility that's uh Uh, Definitely needed in the industry and uh, I think really resonates uh, with the Sun Country pilot, right? Uh, We all have things we like to do outside of work here, uh, maybe more so than other pilot groups, right? And um, uh, some of that stuff is uh, a long ways away or out in the woods. And uh, we want people to have the stretch of time off that they want to get and be able to consolidate their work, right? Right. Um, as well as uh, expand uh, expanded long call escalation, right? So uh, we want to see a system where, you know, as most airlines have moved to with long call, where um, under 117, right? Uh, they put everybody on long call and then they escalate pilots to short call to meet the, the, the demand for sick calls and the like, right? So. Um, this long trip bid, the pre-bid concept we're comfortable with, we've seen this for quite some time, right? Um, and it's a really elegant solution for these long trips, right? Uh, We want to be able to work long trips, but we also don't want them forced on people who don't want to work that long. And truly, if you force, you know, really long trips on people who don't want to work that way, they're going to leave, Right. Um, so, right, what we're used to seeing, right, is this idea that you're going to take these unbid trips, uh, so say you build 70 of these things and 30 of them get bid out, right, you're going to take the other 40 that didn't get bid on, you're going to break those back up and you're going to build them into uh, the short trip bid, right, um, this way everybody gets to stay in one bidding pool, right, and this is really important because, uh, you know, some of these, uh, The company's notion here, right, is that they're going to split them into two different groups, right? So commuters on one side and non-commuters on the other, right, and you only get to bid into you know one group or the other based on your seniority right now what we have is the ability to say hey i want to work this way for three months but the other nine months out of the year i don't want to work long trips i want to be in the short trip bidding pool right uh this gives everybody the ability to do that on a month-to-month basis and decide how you want to work right um likewise by keeping all of the flying in uh, one large bidding pool, you create um, you know more pieces of the puzzle, right? More pieces to the puzzle, and I say that more block, right? And then uh, how that block is built into trips, uh, all can be manipulated more so long as you have more puzzle pieces to play with, right? Uh, that means that the people building the trips and building the lines, uh, presumably us, uh, are able to create lines and trips with a higher level of satisfaction, right? Um, if you look at alternatively, the Allegiant system, right? Uh, you have all of these small little micro bases with very, very little amounts of block, right? And um, you, just, you don't get to bid on the larger amount of work, right? And your ability to pick up trips is within that small group. Right. So not out of the big pool. We want everybody participating in the big pool. And this is particularly important because so much of our block comes in after the final line award. Right. And rather than, you know, that trip going through, uh, you know, some small micro base like Spokane and having 12 people who can bid on that trip. Right. Uh, We want that to go through uh, the whole system as a whole, and uh, this leads to greater uh, scheduling satisfaction at the final bid and more satisfaction over the course of the month and more earnings opportunities we feel is very, very important. Um, And we truly, I think, have a competitive advantage over the other airlines out there because we can do this without being burdened by already having opened a bunch of bases, right? if the company wants to go down the route of opening bases and certainly there is a point at which you have enough velocity right enough operations year are around in a domicile to um, financially uh, validate that base and staff it with reserves right uh, but until you have you know 100 fo's 100 uh, captains basically able to operate in enough block uh, to have consistent operations out of that single location, it doesn't make sense to open bases. It's a financial boondoggle. And um, ultimately, that's bad for this pilot group, right? Because they're going to open up these base, base, small bases and then uh, shut them down. That's what we saw in Portland, right? And why we were resistant to Portland is because it wasn't viable. They weren't. They simply weren't going to run it that way. Um, so... Uh, We just want to see flexibility and choice in how we want to work. We think that the pre big concept does that. And uh, most importantly, right, uh, and this is another one of the company floats, right, is we're just, we can, under this contract right now today, they can build uh, long trips, longer than 12 days, right? And they can put those on lines and award them and the people who are awarded those who don't want them are going to leave and that's what keeps them from putting them on you know into the line bid and um you know reservists uh you really don't even have the reserve staffing in terms of the duration of a stretch of reserve uh to award uh, a reservist to a 14-day trip so you need some sort of solution there if you're going to create trips that are that long in order to have staff for the sick call as well um so Uh, Truly, they've uh, floated the idea of putting, you know, a 12-day trip into PBS and having that awarded, and there is no way to guarantee that you will not be awarded that trip in PBS. PBS will award all of the flying, and if nobody wants that trip, it's going to go on to someone who doesn't want it, right? And if we're forcing people to work in ways they don't want to work, you're going to see attrition, right? Um, Anyways. Uh, So the trip length limit idea, right? Um, As I said earlier, this really comes from um, making sure that every trip that is longer than five days, right, that's in the bid pack goes through this pre-bid process, right? Um, uh, We feel that it's really important that uh, we provide a trip length limit to the pilots who are in the uh, short trip bid so that nobody's forced to work these uh, longer trips. Um, this solution, right, with a trip length limit, and this has to be something that is put into an LOA and that is guaranteed by the company, right? Not in a test bed and they can't take it away because what we want to see here is captain movement to the left seat. Um, one of the uh, central complaints we hear is, listen, I just can't work six days at a stretch. I can't be gone for that long. Um, I, you know, in order to move into the left seat, because I can no longer hold the schedule quality that I can hold uh, in the right seat, I need to see a trip length limit, right? Uh, And I think this really does help People move to the left seat with confidence, right? People are going to have to see that the behavior is different for some period of time before they're going to be comfortable with getting into the water and exposing themselves to uh, to the left seat in a, in a uh, lesser schedule quality, right? Um, and that means that uh, some backstops to that, like trip length limit, will allow people to do that. So, um, still allows for this company to work long trips, uh, to do international flying, long military charters, right? We really want to see that line of work continue and think that it's important to this pilot group and important to this business. And um, this just, you know, as a pre-bid offers an elegant way to avoid that work being forced on people. Um, but we need to expand some of um, some of the rules around that, right? Uh, So, anyways, um, this whole concept of four days off following, right? This is also really important to commuters, extremely important to commuters, right? That if you're um, assigned a trip that is longer than uh, four days, that you're going to see, you know, three, four days off after that, right? Um, uh, And there's some waivable mechanism there that would allow uh for the pilot to wave down to less if they want to but that um you're not going to see a six day backed up to a six day or a four day backed up to a five day that kind of thing right um uh yes there's a day off under 117 right The uh, but um 30 hours off right but we need to make sure that uh uh, that our pilots have well, what's becoming ubiquitous in the industry and uh, protection to be able to have meaningful time at home between trips, right? Um, all right, so this um, this really gets into the uh, the money part of this, right? So what we negotiated uh, as a trial period was limited to cargo ops uh, by the company. Because the only way that they were willing to do the long trips was if they saw um, a decrease in the financial penalties that they were paying to Amazon for their failure to operate flights, right? And so what we were seeing a year ago um, was uh, four-day trips, right, with deadheads on either end that might look like a five-day trip. Uh, or a six-day, but those um, generally had, you know, a deadhead in, oftentimes offline, and then another deadhead out offline, right? And because uh, the industry was suffering with widespread rolling cancellations, uh, we weren't able to get our pilots in position because we lean on those other airlines in order to uh, to deadhead, right? So, uh, to cover 12 days of Amazon flying, right? We had pilots working uh, 18 days, right, because of the the deadhead days, and um, oftentimes we just simply weren't getting there. So by creating a 12 day long trip where you positioned one time uh, at the beginning and then one reposition uh, at the end, they were able to realize uh, some stability and the ability to operate uh, reliably for Amazon. Right, you got them out of uh, out of trouble. With Amazon got them out of paying penalties which by the way they're back into but um, that's beside the point Um, when you mix the lines of flying so passenger and cargo ops um, and this also dovetails a little bit into Minneapolis overnights but we'll get into that later so um, when you can mix the lines of flying uh, and you can position by operating Right, rather than deadheading, and you can operate a Sun country uh, aircraft into position. You lose um, decreased penalty. Okay, so penalty is all the time that you are, um, you know, getting paid, but not making revenue. Right, so you got to make money when you move the airplane, or or we simply just don't make money as an airline. Right, uh, so all of that deadhead time is penalty. Right, rig penalty. Uh, Anytime that you're working, getting paid, but not creating revenue, right? Um, So, by being able to operate a Sun Country uh, aircraft into position where we do cargo operations, right, Um, and then operate back out, uh, we significantly reduce penalty. Uh, Interestingly, the four-day trip length limit also uh, is roughly cost neutral or decreases penalty as well. Um, uh, So... When we save the company money, right, we need a quid for that savings, right? this this is how negotiating is done. It's how we achieve, um, uh, you know gains. and uh, simply simply put, by combining the passenger and cargo operations, um, we are going to save the company a significant amount of money, right? That's part of the move that they tried to make in bullet points um, via email is just say, Hey, we're, we'd like to combine passenger and cargo ops. Okay. We would like to, too, but we need to talk to you about that because it's going to save you money, right? Which means that we need uh, an expanded gain that is commensurate with saving you that money. They don't want to talk about that money. Um, so, what points it is tucked away in an email on Thursday night, right? Um, yeah, the other part that this last bullet point, right? If it's cost neutral or has savings, there is no reason that you can't make an unlimited amount of long trips, right? And I I realize that you know um, a lot of the commuters have been cut out of this because senior pilots take them, right? But if you had 40 of them to be offered or 70 of them to be offered and people wanted to work that way, why not create trips in excess of the demand, right? Well, cost would be one reason that you wouldn't, right? And the company would have a legitimate uh, issue there if indeed uh, they were more costly. Um, If we can save them the money by combining the passenger and cargo ops, there's no reason not to make as many of them as possible. And we need a commitment out of them that they will create. Uh, you know, more trips, uh, you know, access trips to fill demand, right? So um, in our test period, we saw, uh, you know, a really high amount of bidders, right? Um, Some of that is because of commuting. Some of that is because it allows people to consolidate their work in one side of the month and go do something else for the rest of the month, right? Um, This is also why a commuter-only solution, which is kind of what the company starts to propose here, right, um, isn't really viable. Um, We need to see a solution that uh, allows for flexibility and allows commuters to get the kind of work that they want in order to make their life easier, right? Uh, We want to see as many of these made as possible, um, and we need a, a commitment out of the company that they're going to do exactly that. Um, Minneapolis overnights are really interesting, right? So, you know, uh, you get the efficiency of operating into position to start your uh, 12-day trip. Um, If that trip returns to Minneapolis somewhere in the middle of it, right? uh, It allows that aircraft, which is kind of stranded operationally by the 12-day trip, right? It allows that aircraft to get back into the maintenance base and for you to fly a different aircraft out, right? Um, this is pretty key to operational reliability, and it's a problem that exists by not allowing uh, for Minneapolis overnights, right? So uh, let's say we do these long trip um, uh, as a pre bid, right? And we're able to do this and, and then overnight people in Minneapolis. Certainly, you know, if you live close by, maybe you go home for the night, right? Great. Extra night at home in the middle of your long trip. Beautiful. Um, But there is also a concern that we need to address for the commuter, which is making sure that they have uh, a hotel, their per diem doesn't get turned off, and that they're going to get local transportation. I think the language that we have currently now uh, would not allow for a Minneapolis overnight. We've done some based on, you know, um, snow and cancellations and that kind of thing. Uh, but in each case, um, we've had to, you know, do some kind of email memorialization of, of the agreement uh, between um, crew scheduling and us, right? So usually Andy Papaleo emails us and we email him back and say, yeah, that's fine. You can overnight that crew. Um, we need some kind of rules that uh, think this through and uh, come to solution on what uh, what a Minneapolis overnight would look like as part of a long trip. So we need to get back to the table and have more discussion, Right. Um, so this is a pretty wide issue, right? Uh, all of the different various types of conflict from, you know, military leave to jury duty, uh, and vacation, right? Um, I'm not coming down on one side or the other, this conversation as to what you do with a guy who has vacation in the last week of the month and bids a 12-day trip at the beginning of the month and now has, you know, 110 hours of credit. Um, there's an argument that that credit is taking away from the rest of the group. Um, there is, you know, maybe concern on the company side as to whether they want to pay 120 hours a month to have a long trip line and vacation in the same month, right? Right. Um, and where do the off days come from in that case as well. So uh, that needs to get talked through. Um, certainly, we need to talk about it more with the pilot group, uh, see where people are at so that we can move forward. But we simply have had no discussion with the company as to how to you know, take care of any of the conflicts, much less vacation. Those all need to be worked through, right? Um, need more time at the table, right? Um, make sure that we can take care of the problems. Um, So the non-domicile report and release we talked about a little bit. Uh, It seems simple enough, right? You start in Miami and end in Spokane. But this is pretty key to the company's CATS concept, right? The commuter accessible trips concept. And um, what their concept is, right, is that they're going to tack travel days onto trips that are awarded through PBS. So PBS gives you um a bunch of trips and this is part of why they want to create a different bidding group right uh one two three day trips that start and end not in minneapolis right um so trip starts and ends in los angeles trip starts in los Angeles, and that's a one day so to get there how do you get there you tack travel days on right uh, five days, five hours of pay. Yeah, sounds great. Five hours of pay on the back end. Now I'm getting 15 to work, you know, uh, this weird little turn from, you know, Los Angeles to San Diego and eh, not, not bad, right? Problem is you do all the travel days in their concept on your days off for a commuter. This is particularly onerous, right? Um, the commuters right with you right up until the point where they're going, yeah, 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 that's great. Let's start it out at domicile, ended out of domicile, is great because I already commute on my own time anyway. So if I can get paid, get a hotel, that's awesome, right? And they're right there with you, right up until you're like, they just want to do that on a bunch of two days and three days and then tack them all together in weird ways. Uh, and then you're going to get, you know, travel days glued onto all these trips. So the one day becomes a three day, the three day becomes a five day, right? You see what's happening is that you're commuting Uh, on your uh, days off and you don't get any days off, right? Because you're going to get this crazy mix of ones and threes and twos and they're all going to, you know, expand with these travel days and it is going to result in you not having any days off. And there is also a safety concern of that, right? Remember the girl commuted uh, from Seattle overnight through, you know, FedEx and into Colgan and went into Buffalo, right? Um, uh, so there's, you know, some concerns there as well as I don't think that that concept is 117 legal, right? So, um, we're open to this idea. We think it's a really great idea. Let's start some trips outside of Minneapolis. Let's, uh, end some trips outside of Minneapolis. Let's tack some travel days on, right? The duration of that trip is very important. Um, it's part of the CATS concept is how long are those trips going to be? Um, we think that there's significant efficiencies for the company here again we need quids for efficiencies uh to our uh productivity right um and then we got to take care of the positive space trail. so uh anyways we think there's something there um we need to talk about it with the company but they're not negotiating with us so we don't have those conversations we're not moving the ball forward right um so travel days, uh, this is kind of the uh, um, – yeah, I got a little ahead of myself right with the asterisk. That's the caution on short trips, right, which is we're going to attack the travel days on to your one day um uh, i just don't know how you do it right uh like i said 117 is a hurdle so um the travel days though um what we're talking about here uh, at least in our concept and uh, there's been some discussion back and forth with the company casually as to what these might look like right uh you need to provide travel positive space travel um there's been back and forth about a fedex travel bank to start to reduce some of that cost uh that they haven't wrapped their head around and positive space travel seems really simple. You're already doing it with the data deviation anyways. Why not get the attraction and retention uh, bump out of quality of positive space travel, right? Um, along with that, um, we uh, starting in you know a uh, few months here, like three months, um, uh, four months, we get a uh, uh, five hour midday, right? So not an average midday, but five hours every single day uh, that you um, that you work um, or are out of base, uh, where you can't earn through uh, through picking up open time, right? You're still going to get five hours of pay. Um, we need to see that that pay is there for the travel days. Uh, certainly, that was the company's original goal with CATS, right? It was you're going to travel on your own time for free. Uh, We pointed out we already own the five-hour midday. They're going to have to pay it anyways. I don't know if they lost interest there after that. Got to take care of the hotels. Got to make sure you're not losing per diem. Uh, All of this stuff uh, we need to talk about with the company, right? Um, What is positive space going to look like? Um, There's some real advantage here, actually, for the company. Um, Things like... um, let's say, hotels, right, for like commuter hotels, like four hotels for commuters. Those are all kind of um, little measures to not give positive space, which is like a a real honest to God um, uh, commuting uh, measure, right? We're particularly well positioned in the industry to do this already because we travel all of our pilots around on other airlines, right? Which is why data deviation wasn't a problem. And if you look, through the difference between delta deviation, as we already do it, right, and positive space travel, that is a very, very thin piece of paper between the two. They are exactly the same, right? Um, we have been talking about this being exactly the same thing as CATS, right? A long trip, travel days tacked on to the end, positive space travel, you got a CATS line, right? Company wants to do short trips, we've been very clear, we don't think there's any way that they can do that. Um, certainly they, uh, agreed to negotiate with us over what that was going to look like. And it's not supposed to hurt us in terms of pay, um, or days off the days off part comes with, you know, if you're sucking up all my days off into your travel days, I don't have any opportunity to pick up open time. So I do suffer in terms of pay if you're eating up my days off with your travel days. Right. So, um, uh, we would rather travel and operate on the same day. Right. More efficiency, more earnings packed into the same amount of days so you can get higher credit. Right. Um, Anyways, positive space. Um, This, you know, by traveling on other airlines, uh, they do have some advantage here in selling ancillary revenue. Right. And uh, they can sell tickets on some country that would otherwise be used to dead end crews. Um, The other thing that this does, right, is you got an entire world of cargo pilots who are uh, arguably poorly paid and are pretty roughly abused, right? Um, They do not care for their employers and their employers uh, are very regressive, you know, ATI, ABX, right? Notice, Notice who those are, right, is your Amazon competition, right? Um, the reason that these guys work for ATI and ABX, uh, what they call lifestyle choice, right? Now, lifestyle choice happens to be where they want to live, right? So they want to live in Green Bay, right? And they don't want to go through the stresses of commuting, so they work for a cargo airline who positive spaces them to work, right? Or they live near their gateway city um, and can uh, get traveled to work uh, via positive space. That's why they work for these companies. Uh, If we were positive spacing all of our pilots, which we generally are doing anyways, um, uh, just put a little data behind that, right? Um, On average, we do 60 hours of revenue generating block and 30 hours of penalty. So 30 hours of dead ending on average for a pilot line, right? Um, uh, that is key to this entire discussion and is what, um, uh, you know, Jude is really interested in solving for is how do I get more actual re- revenue generating credit onto each pilot? Um, you should go fly passenger ops instead of cargo ops, right? Um, that'll, that'll get you there. Um, yeah, so we really need a, a positive space solution at this airline. Uh, like I said, we're already paying the bill. Right. Whether that's deadhead deviation or that is um, just simply the deadheading part to position us for our work. Um, Why not take that money that you're already paying out and advertise it as positive space commuting to the rest of the world? Now you can attract, you know, uh, experienced uh, cargo pilots out of other operations and hire away your competition with Amazon's pilot source. Right. Uh, Get on it. Uh, long trip uh, pre-bid stuff here. So these are kind of two different constructs we've talked about, right? Um, I would say, you know, the 12 day you're familiar with, you yeah, add two travel days, that becomes 14 days of work and 16 off. Um, that, that's a pretty decent line, not, you know, senior 21 off or something. Um, uh, and the five day concept, right? So you work two five days, you had four travel days and you had 14 days of work and 16 off uh i think we can get to other constructs here right but um just kind of floating the idea out there with you guys if you want to work this way or you don't want to work this way and looking for feedback right um the multi-month bid stuff i kind of covered uh in the overview quite well but uh you know, it, it's just the idea that you can have bid three or four months, five months, six months, bid them all at the same time, and then consolidate those patterns of work, right? So that you can get these longer times, of chunk chunks of time off. Um, you know, it'd be it'd be great in the summertime going vacation to Europe or something with the family, right? Stuff that you just can't do as an airline pilot because um, the way that we work uh, is some kind of 1950s military model, right? Um, certainly you know, pre deregulation, uh, labor contract notions of work that don't fit with the people's lives anymore. Um, the other thing we need to talk about is expanded long call, right? And some of this, uh, has to do with the long trips, right? And we, uh, saw, you know, less than meaningful increase of one, I think in the test period. Um, this is something we've been talking about for years. Uh it is the way that most of the airlines are starting to schedule their uh their reserve core. And it's simply because it's more efficient and you can get more block on people because they're not uh, ticking off their their FDP uh, with their wrap, right? So uh all of that stuff that you experience on short call with, you know, your FDP plus rap plus six, uh that. Uh, you know, it's no greater than 16, that whole thing. Uh, you're not ticking that clock away. Right. Also, the other thing is you when you come to work because you've been given your work assignment, you're put in the rest and then you come into work ready to work for, you know, uh, six days straight. Right. Um, uh, it, it's a bunch of stuff that you can do. And I think you can get more credit overall, which is one of the things that Jude has really said he's tried to solve for, right? It's how to get more credit on people. This is one of the ways you get more credit on people. We're going to have to uh, get the other other side of the um, uh, team to kind of um, realize what some of this does, right? So, um, all right. Uh, why does this fix upgrade, right? And it comes down to that trip length limit. I've hit on this a couple times. Again, like I mentioned, uh, we see the data here as cost neutral and possibly reducing penalty. Um, the company has control over this right now and they should start to self limit themselves and take that reduction in penalty. We would like to see them uh, do this in an LOA in midterms and make it clear to people who want to move into the left seat. That uh, they're not going to work, uh, you know, trips greater than four days in length. I, I think that gets you a, a long ways into uh, upgrades, right? All right. Um, so again, trip length limit, you know, that's solving for the upgrade problem. A um, bunch of different changes here in reserve and schedule flexibility that we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, um, and we get into midterm bargaining. What midterm bargaining is, right? Um, I'm going to dive into this uh, section of slides um, next Tuesday. I just want to throw them up here for a little bit of context, right? Um, So as we start to talk about what, you know, what the art of the possible is with long trips, uh, that we understand that those are moving into cats and that's where the discussion is going to be centered with those is on this this cats concept, right? And I think what, what, is really important here is we we put four issues up, the company puts four issues up, right? Notice the, the parts here that are important, deleted, added, amended, right? What you can't talk about is wages, retirement and trip rig, right? So really hard to address the attraction problem, hard to address the uh, retention problem uh, when you can't talk about wages, right? And if they want to talk about upgrade solutions, we can talk about upgrade solutions. Um, It's just important to, you know, understand what is possible in midterm bargaining here, right? Because it really was just set up to uh, take care of small contractual issues that were hangovers from a fast negotiating process. Um, So, yeah, anyways, CATS is separate, though, right? This is a ninth item. And... Notice the difference is uh, CATS is handled separately because it has a whole bunch of little moving pieces, right? So all of these, you know, parts that we've been talking about with trip length limit or positive space, and those all need to move to make this CATS concept, right? The other four items are single, separate, and specific, right? And even some of the stuff that is in CATS, that pertains to CATS we may have to ask for separately and distinctly as one of our four items um, in order to make that stuff move right because just because it got negotiated in CATS doesn't mean that it moves uh, for the wider pilot group as well right so um, just one of the limitations and also notice 18 months later right we're in early openers for section six right uh, so Pay scales, um, uh, does the company wait all the way to section six or do they feel the crunch earlier? Uh, I think they're working on solving some of those questions internally for themselves, right? So when it comes to midterms, right, and I'll do another uh, Tuesdays at 2 that dives into this slide because there's a lot here, a good solid, another hour, hour and a half conversation about what our ask looks like, right? And So our ask is something about CATS, which we've been talking about now for the last hour and a half, right? And then these other issues, drop provisions, right? So uh, partial drops, um, the ability to have a drop threshold, that kind of thing, Um, positive space commuting, right? Because if you want positive space for the rest of the pilot group, you're gonna to have to do that outside of the long trips. Maybe the pilot group wants that, maybe we're all happy uh, with uh, with what we got, right? But we need to hear from you guys. Um, we wanna expand long call, right? Um, that really needs to be part of the conversation. I think that that improves um, upgrade as does the positive space, right? And then we need to talk a little bit about ride share, right, and limiting what we do with, with Lyft because it's a problem. Uh, And It is a separate and distinct problem, Um, uh, but uh, that's that's kind of where we're heading. Right. Um, So the strategy of how we get to these things. Right. uh, We need to leave to the negotiating committee and kind of uh, to how they want to work on those things. But, you know, what we're asking for. Uh, I think we're asking for things that we're going to try and fix the upgrade problem because the companies telegraphed that they're not interested in fixing the other problems, right? So we're going to go look for a deal where we can get one. Um, yeah. Uh, with that, you know, I've been talking for a long time. Uh, let's uh, open this thing up to um, Q&A and just kind of talk through some of this stuff and if we hit on some of the rest of the slide deck i'm happy to work through those slides too and talk about them but um you know questions on long trips um questions on you know where we're going questions on the condition of the company questions on the training department um let's let's talk about all of it right uh so we'll use the raise hand function um if you uh if you have a question for us uh certainly will's here as well and um we'll just uh, stay in field questions until you guys are uh, uh, done talking about stuff. All right, um, kind of quiet on the question front.
2: Um, yep, Matthew,
1: happy you got the floor.
3: Hey, Eric, um, I was listening a couple weeks ago. Can you hear me? I'm got yep, my gotcha. headphones on. Okay. Um, yeah, I just me. I missed part of the, the first part of the call, so I I just wanted to see it. A couple weeks ago, they were it was after the town hall, and somebody asked a question about. Reserve open time, couple more days off, seventy-five hours—a of guarantee. Was there any? And apparently, Greg said that, or whatever. I—I I wasn't there, but is there any been any follow-up on that? Is that—is that any thought in any of this, or or what's the uh, the thought about all that?
1: Yeah, um, I think the challenge there, right, is that those issues um, serve a very narrow demographic, right? and we have uh it's not that we don't like those things that that he's bringing up right we do we've been asking for some of those things for years it's that in the uh, package that looks like this one um, it's really difficult to undercut the vast majority of this pilot group right just take the reserve ads right the senior pilot and his earnings potential are hurt significantly by allowing uh, reserve ads, right? And the company is floating those things strategically because we're going into negotiations. And, you know, the first move in, you know, Ford and Harrison uh, negotiating training 101 create division in the pilot group, right? Um So, yes, reserve ads, I think they need to look more like aggressive reserve ads uh, so that the senior pilot can pick up off of the junior pilot, and the company should ask for those because they are championing those issues, right? We have some other issues that we need to resolve, which I think allow uh, a wider um, group of pilots to move into the left seat and are more effective. Uh, There's, you know, a very strategic reason why, The company is focusing on a very narrow group, and that's kind of this myopic view that you're going to move the junior, the cheapest people into the left seat, right? And there's another 100 people, uh, senior to that, who can hold lines. Um, And and don't quote me on that number. I haven't done a count on that in quite some time. Um, But, uh, you know, senior pilots who are sitting in the right seat, lots of experience in the airplane— and we should move all of them into the left seat and then hire all of the people who they have applications for, right? That they're saying they get 90 apps a month and they have all the all the apps they want. Let's move our senior people into the left seat, right? What is it gonna to take to do that? Schedule flexibility, right? That's what we're, seeing, what we're looking for in the drops. Um, meaningful cat solution that isn't just, um, you know, breaking apart the pilot group into two different bidding segments. Uh, that actually gives flexibility to schedules, right? Um, and a couple of other, you know, items that are going to help uh, help people move to the left seat that affect everyone, right? Um, I think what's, what Greg is looking at is very, very narrow. And I think it's because, you know, a little bit biased by the data collection, right? He basically asked uh, junior pilots to come in uh, and talk, right? People who had upgraded onto reserve right and when he came to me with this right um and said hey listen this is what the the pilot group is telling me what they want right i am saying listen you brought in a really really narrow part of this pilot group listen to them only and you're not hearing the senior pilots in this right And um, I get why you would ask for those things, because that's going to move the most junior guys into the left seat, which is the cheapest for you. But understand that a lot of those guys are going to churn because they're going to put a 737 type rating onto their certificate. They're going to go through a year or two of stagnation on reserve, you know, while they're trying to get out. And then what they have to look forward to, because we didn't fix it in this round of negotiations, is four years with you know junior lines that are two six days in a four day that just isn't a viable uh future right for people and uh trip length limit is one of the things that that really changes that dynamic right so i just think they're asking for the wrong things i think they're asking for those things strategically to split the pilot group apart um and uh, we are not opposed to those things we think that they're great ideas it's just when you move those pieces of the Jenga puzzle, you're going to have to address the needs of the senior pilot at the same time, right? So that you don't undercut his pay. All right. Uh, Adding more days off uh, for reserves. Yeah, sure. And it's simple, right? Um, In fact, they can do that right now. There's nothing stopping them from doing that as it is. And asking for that, um, right, when they can do it for free, and then they bill us. It doesn't make a lot of sense from a negotiating standpoint they can take their reserves and give everybody you know three days of work if they wanted to there's nothing nothing in this contract that stops them from doing that um hopefully that answers the question right um increasing reserve guarantee that's you know we should do that they they should ask for that for sure um
3: yeah right. yeah that helps thank you
1: yeah absolutely Uh Scott, go ahead. You have the floor.
3: Hey Eric, I just wanted to say first of all, thank you for um the vision of what you see uh you know positive space travel looks like. That's much clearer in my head now and makes more sense than why not just open a base somewhere. Um I appreciate you painting that picture for the pilot group because I know that's a very contentious issue among a lot of us who don't live in Minneapolis or have no desire to work in minneapolis when they can work at any other carrier at a place they do live in so i just want to say thank you for being specific and painting that specific vision of how that how that could work here and i think that's super positive um the next thing i just wanted to ask was my concerns for sun country long term is actually this uh stop and hiring um i kind of foresee this being another goat rope situation where they might solve the captain thing, and all of a sudden, they're short FOs because of the current attrition rate. Um, stabilizing pilot staffing levels seems to be the number one, most important emergency situation here at Sun Country, where this is. These are decisions that have to be made yesterday to affect this airline six months to a year from now. Do you think the company has a sense of urgency? And sees it in that way or do you think that whatever metrics they've been saying publicly or something that they truly believe that this because i personally think this is an emergency situation i just want to know what if you have the insight and in what you think the company sees this as a sense the same sense of urgency or that they don't
1: That's yeah a couple, couple things there um we share your sense of urgency right um we'll I mean, I don't know how many times a day Will tells me if we don't fix the training program, there's no point to any of this. Right. Um it, it, that's very, very true. Um we went to lunch with Greg, what, two, maybe yeah, about two weeks ago, Will and I, and um, you know, had this this discussion, right? Greg's saying, well, what should we do? And he's he's spinning through his Talking points on, you know, reserve ads and um, increasing days off, and I'm going. Listen, none of this matters unless you fix the training department, right? And I am seeing zero urgency out of the C team to do that. Some of that may be, you know, posturing um, because they have cut us out of everything. The strategy of mitigation and marginalization has us at the point where we aren't able to help, right? Um, Much less suggest ideas. Uh, We aren't helping to fix the problem. Um, I have never seen a carrier in this much trouble, uh, and that includes Colgan and Pinnacle, Um, truly. uh, I, I mean, I was very intimately involved in those MECs at those crisis points, and this crisis point is far, far worse I have never seen anything like it. It is absolutely in free fall, and there is nobody there to fix that. Likewise, there is nobody to talk to on the other side about these problems. Um, Even if they decided to open up and say, listen, we're just not going to get there unless we have help from you guys. There is nobody to talk to about the things that I just presented to you. Um, They can't. There's nobody who does interest based bargaining. I'm not sure that there's anybody there who knows how to. Um, It is not in a good spot, right? Which is why I am opening like every call for the last three months with, you know, um, you need to watch out for number one. You need to make decisions about your career that protect you. Um, Like I said, five training failures in one day uh that um not verified uh but coming out of the training department right coming out of the uh the training core right so they're the people who see that stuff and ah uh, the lack of compliance with the a never mind the contract right i i, I can take running over our contract and, you know, getting into the war of arbitration and grievances, I'm good there, right? But the agreement between the company and the FAA is this AFOTUM, right? And we have seen widespread noncompliance. Everything from as simple as, you know, that Just that training board that rolls around on the rollers in the training department that is supposed to have all of the training aids on it. That's part of the A-form. It has to be there or you're not in compliance. The same thing as having a rest violation or an altitude deviation, right? Um, You know, that thing was just sitting there completely barren of all of the things that are supposed to be on it, right? And... We email, you know, Levenhagen like, hey, I I get that your guy, you know, your department of training director is, you know, struggling with communication, struggling with the photom, But that thing is supposed to have all of these training aids on it. Right. And I mean, um I don't, I don't know if Tom Addison's still on here, right, but I, I remember years ago, right, getting nicked at uh, in Endeavor by the FAA for not, like, having the Velcro closed on the uh, oxygen concentrator helmet, right? Like, like the, the PCB wasn't uh, properly put away. And, and here we are with just crap laying on the ground, right? Um, the whole training department looks like that. It is broken, utterly broken trbs that are required aren't being done not by the contract but under the a photo right um uh, special tracking not being ran just simply not being ran right um people aren't getting uh, told that they're in special tracking people aren't being told when they're out of special tracking they're not getting the check that they're supposed to get while they're in special tracking um non-seniority list instructors you know let let's start at the top of the mountain that you know was the first stone that everyone had turned over which is you know um you got a non-seniorless instructor who is signing off lessons that they just didn't do just didn't complete the training wind shear training who needs it right like what is that guy going to do when he gets the wind shear warning right does he fly it into the ground Right. And you're flying, you're sitting next to this person. Right. And maybe this doesn't manifest until, you know, years later. Right. Um, we don't know where the holes are anymore and where the crash is going to come from. This guy's sitting there, gets a wind shear warning. You're like, go around and he, he flies it onto the ground. Right. Cause he's never been trained. Doesn't know what to do. What do you do with your, you know, your training? How are you going to react? Right. The way that you were trained. Uh, we're, we're not training. Um, there isn't an AQP program, right? All of that stuff. It's hugely problematic. And we've, we've been talking about training as a problem for four or five years, right? In, in asked for the change, uh, you know, move Jesse out just wasn't capable of doing the job right new guy comes in all of the problems of jesse's era are now here and starting to manifest i mean there's widespread disqualifications of instructors right the faa has been pulling these guys in tranches um what happened there right is that they went from like one check ride for all of your certifications right someone like uh Um, uh, Kyle Cook would have, you know, I think nine or 13 different certifications as an APD that they're carrying, right? Um, And that was all done through one check ride. Uh, Jesse changed that for some reason in the AFOTM to a separate check ride for each qualification. So now this guy has to go out and do, you know, nine check rides per year. Um, that was never, you know, there's no change process for anything, right? Our contract or the AFODM or anything else. So changes are made and that's never carried through to the scheduler, right? So the schedulers never bothered to change the way that they were scheduling people's check rides and probably most of the training department was disqualified, right? And they've been pulling guys in tranches of like four or five in the normal path here, right, for the FAA is that anybody who that instructor touched is now invalid. They get pulled from the line and they get retrained. But my sense is, is that that's so widespread of a problem that they are unwilling uh, to shut the airline down, right? And I, I don't know when they start to do what they would do at other properties, right? Likewise, the FAA is making moves to Change out um, uh, some of the people that have been here for a long time, right? And I don't know if that's just, you know, exhaustion on the part of, you know, the guy who's been here for a long time just dealing with the insanity of it, or if, um, you know, the FAA has decided, hey, we need to get in front of this thing because we have a big liability on our hands with some country and we need to change out who is, uh, you know, regulating this place, right? Um, That's a little unclear to me, you know, um, on the upside, the FAA is talking to us, right, where the company has gone completely dark and is doing, you know, their mitigation to marginalization strategy. Um, The FAA has stepped up and said, hey, we want to start talking to you because we can't see, right, because they're also getting the mitigation and marginalization strategy and nobody's talking to them. Right. So they want to talk to us about what the issues and problems are. And that's been a really good path and a very healthy path. Um, but they're a little bit limited, too, in what they can do, um, as are we. Right. So we'll, we'll kind of partner up and try and fix it some. Right. But no, I am not seeing a sense of urgency. I don't actually know if there is a acknowledgement of how bad that problem is. Um, there certainly isn't a plan to fix it i haven't seen a plan to fix it i've seen some some urgency right out of people who understand training out of houghton or um uh you know yeah it's probably got to fix it but i mean will and i met with him right after he came on property we said your training department is broken and needs help right and the answer was hey that's going to take me 18 months uh, because I gotta redo the whole thing. and yeah, I know it's it's not right. It's, a, it's not AqP. it doesn't look right, it doesn't feel right. It's not the right thing. um so yeah, my uh, my take on it is there isn't a plan. there isn't a you know, a sense of urgency. I think they know that there's a problem. I think they know that training is hindering their growth. it's a it's a constraint, right? But understanding how deep and wide that problem is and what's going to take to to fix it, I'm not seeing that sense of urgency. Um, yeah. Okay,
3: Okay. thank you yeah, us, for God, your God. candidates.
1: Go ahead, Will.
2: Oh, no, I was just gonna say, you know, like Eric said, Scott, we, we talked to them at lunch three weeks ago and that your number one problem is training and that's where you need to put all your efforts. You have to fix that because there's no point in hiring people if you can't get them through training and people are gonna leave um two weeks ago we sent him an email um basically asking to cease and desist from using non-seniorialist instructors uh, because they couldn't prove that they had met the qualifications um, we were talking to joe that night after that email went out um, and um, he could basically acknowledged yeah we need to get somebody from Alpha in to sit with training um and get them on the on on the right path and that he was going to do that that's been two weeks we haven't heard anything from them last week we um just asked flat out do you want to talk about um solving upgrades right and this was Sarah club and what we were told was midterms are coming up what that tells me is that they are not going to engage um with Alpa in in anything Uh, unless they are actually required to do it contractually, which means midterms and grievance and what they're doing with PBS. And what that means going forward, just for longer term, is uh, midterms are over and they are not going to talk to us until it's time for Section 6 to open up, um, which is 18 months to two years down the road. But when we talk about make good decisions, um, that's the environment that we're in. That may change, but that's where we're at right now that's what we mean by looking out for number
1: one yeah it is that's exactly what we mean um uh, you know the um the conversation at that lunch right where they're talking about solving their upgrade problem and we're like your training department's in free fall nothing matters right like you can solve your upgrade problem if you want to but i mean until you solve that training problem uh, your airline's not going to grow, so I don't know what your point is, right? Um, I'm just kind of looking at that conversation in retrospect, and there was no no conversation started by them about how they were going to fix their training department at all. Just talking about upgrades.
3: Yeah. Um, thank you for uh, all the candid uh, responses to that. And uh, I do have a follow-up, and then I, I promise I'll be done. <sighs> Um, You had had mentioned that someone on the board summarily uh, dismissed someone over the level of grievances that are here and said, you know, stop doing this, fix the grievance problem. Did I misunderstand that or was that said and
1: has that changed anything? uh, You know, what we were told when the new uh, chairman of the board came on, right, Uh, Jennifer Vogel. Okay. Um, and just by the way of background, I think she was a lawyer at Continental. Um, I don't know if in labor or uh, what she really uh, specialized in, right? Could have been HR or something. But one way or another, she's the chair of our board. And um, what was passed on to me uh, by Levenhagen is that she has asked that the company get into compliance, right? Um, and that was in the context of contract compliance. Uh I don't you know I don't know if that came along with you know your your compliance with the FAA needs to come along right? Um but contract compliance, right? Okay, that's that's really welcome. Let's let's do that, right? Um I don't know right. The other thing that's kind of come along with that is relationship Right. It was about two weeks ago, um, uh, the company, all, all, everyone at the company almost at the same time, started talking about relationship, right? And when I hear relationship, um, you know, I know that's not coming naturally out of the C-team. It's probably coming out of the board. And because their strategy has been, we don't talk to you outside of, you know, really aggressive um uh, uh bargaining strategies right uh, we just simply aren't going to converse with you at all uh, unless um we have to and so relationship is something more like interest based bargaining versus distributive bargaining right uh i mean you just simply can't have a relationship when you do distributive bargaining right it's um the way that distributive bargaining works right is i want this thing this right and i am willing to pay you know thirty thousand dollars for it and um i'd like to pay 28 and i pull out at you know 26 5 um or or you know 32 i'm just out so uh, they're uh, terrible example sorry um they they approach everything that they do with us that way i mean it's disciplined i'll give you that but what it does is it it's the kind of bargaining you do with someone when you don't have to have a long-term relationship with them right so you walk onto the car lot and you beat the tar out of that person and you're willing to walk away and burn that relationship right um the problem is when you start to do that same strategy, which probably works great when you're negotiating with Amazon about, you know, flying airplanes or doing airplane financing. Right. So there's experience on the other side that's telling them that behaving that way works out really well for them. And, uh, you know, truly, maybe they want to work with labor that way. But everyone else. Right. Who is doing well. uh, at their is really trying to work with labor to solve their productivity problem, right? And that means you need to do interest-based bargaining. And, and the big difference there is, you know, we talk to you about our problems, you talk to us about your problems, and then we try to create solutions that create added value, right? Um, and if you can create added value, that's where you get competitive advantage and the company does better. And as a result, management does better and we do better. Um, sticking to that distributive bargaining model is uh, pretty detrimental. Um, It's a super effective strategy for them, right? Mitigation, marginalization, all you get, right, is your arbitrations, right? And that's it, right? We're not gonna talk to you about any other incremental gains, right? This is what we hear all the time, incremental gains, incremental gains. We can't give you that, that'd be an incremental gain. It, you might benefit from that if you did that thing. Yeah, but that'd be an incremental gain for you. Um, so there is not a mindset that's saying, hey, let's solve our problems, right? And even um, the notion of this is our problem and we need to share this upgrade problem. This is, the, the upgrade problem is our problem. It Mutually, like the company and us, yes. Um, and we need to solve that problem so that we can grow. Yet at the same time, they're not gonna approach that from an interest based bargaining solution. They're not going to go, man, you know, if we could you know do these you know three little tweaks that don't cost money um or add this new concept to allow more people to work here, we could have a bunch of upgrades so they their thinking is completely one sided right, which is where you stumble into things like. You know, reserve ads and in adding days off for of reserves. Do they fix something? Yeah, they do. Um, are they popular with a small segment of the population? Absolutely. Um, do they fix our upgrade problem? No. Right, because you didn't talk to both sides, so you don't know what their interests are, and you don't know what you want. Right, and and this is 15 years ago, right? Uh, and as a new grievance chair at Masaba and. Uh Gene Schraft, our, our alpha lawyer at the time, said, you know, you you need to tell the other side what you want, right? That that whole, like, caging negotiations of, like, distributive bargaining, you, you can't do that. you got to tell them what you want, or you're never going to get it, right? And it makes all the sense in the world to me, right? Which is why I'm comfortable coming on here and broadcasting loudly and publicly what we want, right? We're not hiding behind the curtain, trying to trick them into, you know, agreeing to what what it is we want, it's right here, right? A lot easier, easier to create consensus, right? It's easier for the pilot group to look at it and go, man, that uh, that reserve ad thing sounds really great, but it maybe doesn't work for everybody, and there's a way to do it, right? That doesn't hurt anybody, and we should choose that path, right? Because you don't get there, you know, on an island thinking alone. Um, it is our problem, but they don't have that mindset that they're going to we're going to get together and discuss things. They haven't done that. I mean, outside of O.C. at all. And in fact, right after O.C. left. Right. So January of twenty two conversation was and this is, you know, Zillin and I uh, talking to Eric Levenhagen and Andy Papaleo, right after the deal was done in December of twenty one. So January of twenty two. We're going to do the black and white, the black and white only and no L.O.A.s. Right. And I saw that as, you know. Dave wants cost control. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, That's why it was explained to me. But really what it was is a shift in labor policy because the guy who knew how to do interest based bargaining left. So. Yeah, here we are, right? Um, we got big problems and kind of this, you know, tick box culture uh, that you know we we have a safety department check. We have a labor policy check, right? Um, but what's behind there is, you know, uh, you know we have a training department check, right? Uh, the the safety department has one person working for it, right? The training department is in free fall, right? Labor policy, um, worst I've ever seen. I mean, truly better, better and easier dealing with Colgan, truly, and Pinnacle, right? I mean, uh, truly dealing with Pinnacle uh, was far more productive, and somebody shot that guy in the gut
2: in downtown Memphis. Yeah. Um, uh, Cody, uh, go ahead, you got the floor.
3: Hey, going back to long trips, and this probably came up more than a year ago, but uh, did we ever address parking? You know, if somebody from Minneapolis took a trip that was more than 10 days, um, is there a solution for that?
1: There isn't, and there um, there isn't a solution to be negotiated there because it's the uh, MAC, Metropolitan Airport Commission's uh, limitation. Um I mean, offered solutions that we came up with, and this is, I mean, years ago when they put that limitation in place, right, was that um, the company would allow you to park in the building seat parking lot and arrange for the, you know, shuttle, um, the van to kind of take you out to the gate. But I don't know how much of that they're actually doing at this point i just i'm not tracking on it closely enough but there isn't there is no way to negotiate for a longer duration there because the mac has made it pretty clear they want those cars cleared out of there um they don't want stuff sitting there for you know 20 30 days or whatever um i think they have a safety concern there right
2: okay thanks yeah
1: yeah yeah um years ago they used to, you know, Deb would come into the new higher classes and tell people, you know, give me leave me your keys if you're going out on a longer trip than than 10 days because I'll I'll move your car for you, right? Um we're maybe too big for that now, but yeah. all
2: right. Uh anyone else? A- anything at all? All right. Yeah, Will, um, any
1: closing comments before we go?
2: Uh, no, I mean, I think we covered a lot there. Um, you know, keep tuning in to these Tuesdays at 2. There's, um, you know, as Eric's pointed out, there's a lot to long trips and to what's coming up in negotiations, right, um, in midterms. Um, you know, I will say um, just, uh, you know, for folks on the call who maybe haven't been through a negotiation before, um, you know, what you're seeing out of the company right now uh, when they kind of come in and sort of float these things in ground schools and, and other, uh, you know, um, it's an attempt to create division. And when when you have a divided pilot group, everybody gets less. And if they're talking to you, um, they are trying to pick your pocket. Make no mistake about that. Um, so, um, good answer is always. That's interesting. You should talk to talk to the union about that. That's my uh, that's my my final
1: pitch for Tuesday too. Yeah, that's right. And with that, just to dovetail in the you know what we'll say in there, right? Is uh, we have a. We have a senior demographic at this airline, right? That is um, at a pretty rough go of a career with, you know, labor and the company and the failures, right? Um, uh, we um, were very concerned about that group and making sure that they're uh, heard, right? Um, I, I know the sentiment is sometimes different, but it is a significant concern. And likewise, uh, that the junior group's voice is heard, right? And you look at this airline, and about half of the airline has been here, you know, two years. Um, a lot of the people who are coming on property at the junior end of the spectrum haven't seen the stuff that the senior guys have seen, right? The senior guys have seen the strategies and the plays. And all of the bad behavior and they see it and they're like, yeah, that's that stuff again. Right. Um, And they should be talking to the junior guys about what those plays are and how how the playbook works, because it is nothing new. Um, This is truly Ford and Harrison is the law firm that does, you know, labor relations for almost every uh, company out there. Uh, Certainly every single one I've ever worked with, right? Um, I mean, there's a a slew of Ford and Harrison lawyers that that I've worked with over the years. And, you know, they go to, you know, strategy meetings the same way we do, right? Uh, They go to training, negotiations, training, and all the rest. And so, you know, they're pulling the playbook, right? And that playbook is super damaging for them. I don't know why they continue to listen to it. Um, because, you know, who, think this out for just a second, right? Who benefits when we go to war, right? Ford and Harrison, right? So doing distributive bargaining and being super aggressive, that, the people that benefit from that are Ford and Harrison, right? And when companies say like Delta, right, got out of that rat trap and started to, pay attention to labor, right? They, this is what happened in that Northwest merger, right? Because their labor relations were so wrapped up in distributive bargaining that the company started to fall apart and failed. And um, then Delta, right, uh, kind of, well, what happened is Northwest Management did a back backdoor takeover at Delta, right, and then bought Northwest. And uh, in that process, they were very, very Keen to dumping the Northwest labor relations culture because it had become so toxic that the company failed, and the same thing with Pinnacle. I had the same problem, right? Um, and uh, w- what occurred there, right, is the, the Delta management, which was the old Northwest management that had created the bad labor culture, went to like you know a management training school down in uh, in Atlanta and um, had a whole new vision for how they were going to have good labor relations. And they wrote this whole, like, rules of the road thing, right? So there's like this pamphlet that everybody who works at Delta gets, and it shifts the culture um, into something that's more functional. If you read through that, it's available online. You can go look at it, right? And it's it's all this stuff about um, treating people with respect, listening to them, Right which is key to doing interest-based bargaining. And then um, we're going to follow through on our commitments this is one of the basic tenets, right? Which is to say, we're not going to agree with things and then not do them. It's so, to say, we, uh, in order to succeed, need to partner with labor, hear them, and then follow through with uh, compliance because, uh, and they got this totally right, right? It's, it's like, as soon as you start to deal with labor and... Um, Make labor uh, happy, right? Because it doesn't take it really, truly doesn't take much to fix these problems. Um, And and money-wise, on the scale of money that we're talking about, very small uh, investment. Yeah, you lose a little bit of your profit, but you know what? You can make tons and tons of money because now labor is working with you, and everybody is rolling in the same direction, right? And you know, OC got that, um, you know, both from an Alpha side and from a, a lessons learned at Delta side. And, you know, came in here, worked really well with labor, achieved a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, now that that culture is gone. And uh, you really you have to have someone who knows how to do interest based bargaining, who understands that, you know, um, the best way to frankly, the best way to marginalize labor is to. Make sure that labor is happy and move on, because you got a really big business to run that's worth a lot, a lot of money, or you can just kind of go into a you know a hole, pretend the problems don't exist, and let the whole thing rot from the inside, which is what killed Northwest, and we're well on our way. Um, this this place is doing great financially. It has a really really bright future if it can get out of its own way, uh, start to work with labor, and you know find a, a team that can do you know, basic interest-based bargaining um, so that they can get what they want, right? They need to ask for what they want so we can give it to them or we can point out why you shouldn't ask for that because it's going to hurt you. But none of that conversation happens right now. Yeah, sorry. Um, you guys have done uh, really well sticking with me for, you know, two hours. Uh, the rest of the seminar uh, sessions, uh, they are deep dives into, uh, you know, all of these aspects of, you um, uh, midterm bargaining and how we're positioned for section six coming up. So, um, you know, tune in, listen to the the deep dive. I appreciate you guys having the patience to sit through it. Please go talk to people about it. Um, it's really important that the pilot group has some knowledge here and can start to uh, start to uh, be conversational in what their negotiating situation is. All right. With that, I'm going to wrap up the call. Thanks, everybody. Uh, take care. Bye bye.